unfortunately, we have allowed the world at times to have more of a discipleship present in our child's life than we are. Welcome to the Mama Bear Apologetics Podcast, a podcast where we teach you to roar like a mother. And by roar, we mean recognize the message, offer discernment, argue for a healthier approach, and reinforce these ideas with your kids. Unless you want to growl around your house. I mean, that's cool too. <laughs> You're like, check it. We keep it reels. <laughs> that's so bad. You're awesome. Mama Bear Apologetics is a listener-supported program, so if you like what we do, head on over to the Mama Bear Apologetics website and click support. It's time to rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. This might not affect your faith, but it might affect your children's. Welcome to a new year of Mama Bear Apologetics. It's 2024, so I don't really know. So Amy, in your opinion, does it feel like 2024 or does it feel like we've just gone through 2020 part one, part two, and three, and now we're at 2020 part four? It's like Mm -hmm. we almost like measure things from there. It's like, is it going to be a repeat? I know, I know. It's like, which stage of COVID are we? Are we post-post-COVID? You know, yeah. No, it... uh, it feels like just the remix. And I think it, it's crazy because it, it seems like we're just kind of ramping up. Like 2024, it's sort of, are things going to go as crazy as what everybody else thinks it's going to go? It, that's how yeah. it feels like. Yeah. So we we kind of want to recognize. So, so like one of the things that's been on my heart for years, I mean, it's, I, have, I mean, I've been talking about it for years. She knows that it's been on my heart for years is basically wanting to prepare our our audience, our moms that are out there for what's coming, but it's like doing it at the same time without scaring anybody. Um, Cause it's not like we're going to say that we have some gift of prophecy and we see something big happen. I like what Mike Winger said. He's like, I'm not going to prophesy. I'm going to predict. Yeah. And so just with looking at the writing on the wall, what's been happening specifically the last four years, we are kind of in the pinnacle of, um, I, I remember the exact phrase back in 2020 that I was thinking, or actually it would have been more like 2019. Or I can't remember. When did the actual, Election I think happened. it's 20, oh, election was 2020, but okay. you know, pre 2019 is where things really kind of got dicey. Yeah. Well, I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I don't know if our country can handle another election cycle without a civil war at this point. Um, but we've just kind of been watching things as they have been coming along and I, I, I or just kind of coming down the pike. I want to encourage our, our listeners to go check out Theology Mom's post that she did at the beginning. Um, uh, of this of this week and uh, it has like a picture and it's like things that have shattered her world uh and she's kind of going through like six things that she believes now that she didn't maybe four years ago it's a really good listen to but I, w- I would say that that's kind of stuff that I've had my eye on for quite a long time and so what we as a ministry want to do is we want to be right there with you and we want to be preparing our moms for what is coming, but not in a way that is scary. And so first off, I just want to talk a little bit about what does it mean to encourage? I was, I was thinking about this, like, so Amy, when you technically hear people saying, oh, encouragement, encouragement, what do they usually mean, especially in the Christian 
spheres. Usually it's a way of, of cheering one up. Uh, sometimes it can even be a form of, well, I need encouragement. I, I need a validation that what I'm doing is 100% right and I should definitely keep on going. Like so yes. often that's what we think encouragement is, is we don't necessarily want the accountability where, eh, you know, maybe your your goals or your aspirations are a little off. We just want to say, oh yeah, sure. You're, you're going after it. Just you do you. You're doing such a good job and you look so pretty doing it. You know, like that's <laughs> Kind of what we want to hear, but I want to talk about what does it mean to infuse courage? So like the actual word encouragement means to infuse courage. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that we can infuse courage in each other by saying everything's going to be okay, buttercup. Uh, You know, all the things that you're scared of never going to happen. All the the things that uh, are going out in culture, you're going to be safe. Your kids are going to be safe. Your husband's going to be safe. Everybody's going to be safe. That's just not, I mean, I think that there's a long time that we've been able to kind of pretend like that's what encouragement looks like. And I really think that time of luxury is coming to an end where we need to say, what does it look like to infuse courage? So one of the things that we are committing to you as a community, number one is that, um, and I'm, and I'm going to go ahead and confess this myself. I don't think we've given you enough resources and I'll tell you why it's my, my own sense of perfectionism. Uh, of think, thinking that everything has to be perfect. So basically, we're going to try this year a new experiment of just radical transparency of things not being perfect. Amy and I were laughing about how um, basically she, she's probably at some point going to have the baby strapped to her. And I'm who knows, like I will have just gotten out of bed, maybe makeup, maybe not. I don't know. But um, let me pull up something that I said that was what I think encouragement really means. Um, I I said, I find the best way to conquer fear is to look it dead in the eye and say, you're right. I may not be safe, but even if I am not safe, I will still not bow my knee to another. And at that point, fear loses its grip. Biblical encouragement is not about convincing each other that we're all going to be okay. Mm -hmm. It's about embracing the not okayness and deciding that we will not change our course of action. Despite what this world throws at us, we will still worship. We will still speak truth. We refuse to live by lies because we are living for another life anyway. Yes. Oh, I love that. And, you know, there's so many things that it brings to mind. I'm getting Chronicles of Narnia. You know, when uh, at the end of it, it was not about, okay, no, cool. Uh, Aslan's just going to make this all better. Nobody's going to be affected and we're good to go. No. What they did is they the kids were given weapons because they knew they were going to be in a battlefield, but they knew who the winner was, who was the yeah. victor. And so when you know the victor, when you know how it's going to end, which, you know, spoiler alert, Revelation, read that. <laughs> we know how it's going to end. Then, we know how it's going to end. We don't yeah. know how it's going to go down, but we know how it's going to end. Fear loses its grip. And then when you think of mm-hmm. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, they were there looking at the furnace as it was uh, ramped up in flames. And they said, we know our God can save us. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to doubt him and live in fear. And it's just wonderful about when we actually look at these examples, some from scripture, some just inspired by scripture, by amazing authors. It really just shows <laughs> that when, when we have that spirit of fear, it's because we're not focusing on who conquers that. We're not focusing on God. And so that's what we need to be doing. So let's, let's just kind of promise ourselves, mama bears, that we're going to gird our loins and we're going to say, yep, we're going to do what needs to be done. We're not going to let fear take hold of us. And it doesn't matter what's going on in society. And so Amy and I have a few thoughts on 
what would you say that would, would this be like a different perspective on the, the whole new year's resolution? Cause everybody, you know, at the beginning is like, Oh, new year's resolutions, new year's resolutions. But I think that if 20, the, the original 2020 <laughs> taught us anything, it's how much more we're doing that we don't need to be doing. So uh, for our mama bear resolutions talk here, we're going to be talking about what do we need to give up in the sense of this is not important. This is not, um, discipling our kids. This is not preparing them to think biblically. This is not discipling them. Like, what are some things that we need to say, you know what, I'm okay releasing those. And so like in 2020, one of the beautiful things was everybody was forced to release everything because we basically all had a, you know, stay at home mandate. What we didn't have at the time, though, was our, you know, I've heard from a lot of parents whose kids actually really flourished during that time. Mm -hmm. Amy, you were talking about the um, article where it's like all of a sudden all these women started like leaving the workplace. Describe that. Yeah, no, and I I love that. It was an article that was, uh, and and the author of it, well, I'll have to try and find it. The author was bemoaning the fact that so many women were leaving the workforce and they were blaming COVID and all of this. And what the author didn't recognize is that as she was interviewing the women, they said, wow, it wasn't until COVID forced me to be at home that I realized I was burning the candle at both ends. I mm-hmm. had bought into the lie that I could do it all and you know work full-time, be with my kids full-time. And I realized, you know what? No, I can't. And I want to be with my kids. And so, Mm -hmm. so many women were giving up their jobs in the workforce to focus on the home. And they were saying, oh, this is such a bad thing. That's, that's what the article was saying is how awful it was that these so many working women were now becoming homemakers. And no, this was actually a beautiful thing because we're, we're going back and nurturing the most important thing. And Hillary, you're talking about giving things up. And, you know, when we think of New Year's resolutions, we often, think about, you know, all these sort of superficial things we want to take on. You know, we want to, I just had a baby. I really would love to lose 10 pounds. You know, we want to get more in shape. You know, we've got all of these little things, but when crud hits the fan, what's most important? We're not thinking, man, I sure wish I had lost that 10 pounds. No, I wish I had better equipped my kids. I wish I had focused on family. I wish I had put my husband first, my wife first. And so that's what we want to encourage is instead of resolutions for sort of these, these superficial pursuits. Instead, what we want to encourage you, mama bears and papa bears, if you're listening, are more of let's refocus into how can we strengthen our families for when trials come? Because mm-hmm. we know they're coming. We know cultures after our kids. So what we need to be doing is instead not allowing the world to distract us from the great commission that we're supposed to be doing first and foremost in our own homes, and but pour into that and strengthen up and raise up this next generation. And just as you were talking, it made me think of the verse from Ecclesiastes 7.4 that says, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning Mm. that you said, you know, when, when crud hits the fan, people aren't thinking, I wish I'd lost those 10 pounds. This is why we saw like after 9-11, a lot of people went back to church after 9-11 because the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. There is something beautiful and reorienting about chaos. And so if there's nothing else that we can say, we can say the last couple of years have been chaotic. And so Mm -hmm. we need to take the lessons from that refocus. So we're, we're going to be talking today about what are some of the things that we need to give up and what are some of the things that we need to stand firm on and saying, this is the way that we defend the home front. Because yeah, we can talk about memorizing scripture. We can talk about doing Bible study, all that stuff. All of that is absolutely important. And that's what we're doing as we go. But God has provided family units mm-hmm. as kind of like these little miniature, it's like, um, stabilizers in society. So how can we do that? How can we stabilize 
our family, not only for them, but for kind of, dare we say, some of the shockwaves that we're going to be having come to where we're going to say that our house is not going to be one of the ones that topples over yeah. because we're giving things away. And I, I just want to share. So a lot of times when I pray about things, I just kind of, I, I don't listen for like an audible voice, but I kind of get impressions and I, and I journal them. And so like one of the things that I was praying about Yesterday, it's like I just felt this burden of the Lord saying, okay, or, or, or me saying, Lord, I, I feel like this burden that we need to prepare moms and like, what, what is it that we need to do? And one of the things that I wrote down in my journal was slowly separating their kids from the world, knowing that they're going to have to drag the kids kicking and screaming. Some of them, yes. Uh, so in times of persecution, when the n- number one things is keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. So a lot of times we have this very missional mindset of we need to go out into culture, we need to preach the truth, we need to do all these. But when culture is basically rioting and revolting Mm -hmm. against all the things that Christ has already said, that's not always the time that we need to go out there and start preaching stuff. These are the times when we need to say, how am I keeping myself and my family from being polluted by the pollution that's out there. So Amy, what are some of your thoughts on that? If we were going to say there are some things that we need to give up because they are acting as means of polluting our kids and and making them in love with the world because we can't be in love with the world. We, Mm -hmm. We just can't. Uh, what are some of those things that you would say? So, and and that separation, I would say that's almost like step two or three of the process because mm-hmm. we we first have to equip them to be able to see the world for what it is. Mm-hmm. It's that discernment there to where if our kids cannot recognize and pull away uh, a, a worldly lie from biblical truth, then they're going to succumb to the world every single time. And unfortunately, we have allowed the world at times to have more of a discipleship present in our child's life than we are. So yeah. we've we've outsourced everything. We outsourced to youth ministry, and you know, uh, if your kid has a, has a cell phone, they're uh, infused with social media. And so part of that that with that separation comes from active discernment and being able to recognize mm-hmm. what's going on in the world, and then saying, okay, is this something that we want to allow? sharpen or alter our biblical worldview. So recently we've been looking at our own family has been looking at different musicians and just how within the past two years, there has been an influx of satanic presence within music. And I mean, this isn't anything new, right? Like I'm, and it was funny even bringing this up. I'm like, oh man, you know, you sound like one of those crazy Christian moms of the eighties who was like, so, uh, and I think the difference there is approach. It's not that there wasn't influences within that music because there very much was, but when you run at someone and say, oh, you know, like Hillary, we were joking earlier about the Bobby Boucher mom. It's the devil. You know, you're not, yeah, you're not gonna, you're not gonna win over your kids. You're going to look crazy in front of your kids. So instead of okay, wait a second. What are they actually saying? What Mm -hmm. is the, what are this, what's the symbolism? My husband and I, we've been talking about symbolism lately with our kids as we're watching this. We're like, okay, wait, are symbols meaningless or do they have meaning? Mm -hmm. And what actually is being communicated by these symbols? Where is the foundation of these symbols? And even if the person who's singing them, using them, whatever, doesn't believe in them, does that mean they're meaningless? And so that's been, that's been huge for our kids because as we've been looking at music, 
um, what from pop artists were like, okay, look, see all these snakes in her music video, see the, her, you know, dancing around, uh, with Satan masks or him dressing up as Satan himself. What is that communicating? And yes. so from that, when they can properly identify, okay, wait a second, symbols aren't meaningless. They are communicating something. What I'm taking into myself, whether it's audibly, um, whether I'm reading it, it is affecting me, shaping my worldview, altering my perceptions, that sort of thing. And is this edifying? And if not, you know, this, this is something that we can give up. Uh, are we better for giving it up? And it takes yeah. discipline and finding that balance can be tricky. I mean, we're, we're still hashing it out in our family. I mean, I was asking my husband, Mike, I'm like, okay, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about all the symbolism. We're, we're seeing what's there. Um, we're watching all these music videos and and comparing and I'm like, okay, so what's the answer? Do we just, you know, listen to Lauren Daigle 24 seven? Like, is that our only <laughs> option? You know? Um, not, not bashing to Lauren Daigle, great music, but well, uh, we got what great too. Yeah. Where's the balance? And so, but, but that's something that we have done as a family is okay. Wait yeah. a second. We can't just take something out without first understanding. And I think that's, that is where you're, you're in the world, but not of it is you're able to yeah. rightly filter and discern because then, you know, okay, this is something I don't need to be messing with. And I think you were right in saying at the beginning, like even just deciding not to be tainted and like to remove some, oneself from the world, that is like two or three steps down. So the picture that I get in my head um, where what we're kind of have to be doing with our kids and with ourselves is you think of two pieces of Velcro where in the Velcro, there's like all these little hooks yeah, yeah. that are keeping these two things together. And just think of each of these as like a little piece of our heart and a little piece of the world that have been tied together. And this might be a little bit of a painful process of things that we're allowing ourselves to give up because we are indistinguishable from the world right now to be prepared for what's coming, just sitting down and talking with your family. It's like, it doesn't have to be this mandate from the top down. That's a way to have like your kids just you know, rebel, but having this discussion with your family, what are the things that are actually drawing us closer together and closer to Christ? And what are the things that are drawing us close to the world mm-hmm. and start that process saying what things you feel your heart? What if we asked you to give up this? What if you asked you to give up that? It's like, Ooh, um, tell us about that small group where people were talking about sports. I think I crowd crowdsourced something on Facebook asking people, how many hours a week did you do sports stuff when you were younger? Cause it just feels like it's taken over uh, for a lot of the families that I know here. Well, and as we were talking, you know, one of the ways that, uh, like we were sharing is if Satan can't, what is it? If Satan can't teach you to sin, he'll make you busy. If Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Someone told me that a long time ago. And I'm like, they are, it has been like this thing that I've just known for years that I'm like, they are so right. All the times that I just maybe do the dumbest stuff or I just feel the, I don't know, the most ick are times when I'm just moving too fast. Yeah. And, and our culture today has idolized busyness. I mean, I see uh, social media posts all the time of people saying, oh, well, you know, we went to this sport and that outing and this class. And then I, you know, baked two batches of bread and a pie. And, you know, it's, we've idolized busyness. And, uh, and so with this life group, uh, one thing that was talked about is our life group leader had said that one of the things that he regrets, and he was he was in his 60s or so, is he goes, uh, I didn't prioritize church within the family. If the kids had a sporting event, whether it was a volleyball meet, swim meet, track, whatever, if it happened on a Sunday, he would choose, they would go and do the athletic event and not church. And he regretted yeah. that as an adult because no, church needs to be the primary. And yeah. oh my goodness, in a church, everyone in the class nearly 
lost it. I mean, my husband and I were looking at each other like, holy crud, he hit a nerve there because everyone's like, well, no, Mm -hmm. sports are important. And it teaches, you know, self-control and discipline and all these things. So we should be, it's okay to go ahead and give up church for sports. Whoa, wait a second. Now you've just said your idol. Now you're Mm -hmm. actually saying that sports is a better discipler of spiritual fruits than the church, than you as a parent. Oh my gosh, that's such a problem. And so, you know, one of these challenges we often, you'll often hear people say is put one of those monitors on your phone and that tracks how much time you spend on your phone and where you spend it. Oh my goodness, folks. It is humbling. And then that is probably going to be a loud indicator of maybe something that you need to give up. Yeah. Uh, this pastor that came to our church that was actually talking about resolutions, he said, you know, the focus that so many people have is what resolution can I do when really what they need to be focusing on is what do I need to give up? Because if you're adding yeah. something more to your plate without removing something, it's going to spill over. And more than likely, the newest thing you add, the noble goal, aspiration, whatever, is going to end up falling off and being rejected. So if your goal is spiritual discipleship of your kiddos, you have to give something up before you take that on. Because if you don't, you know, maybe not have them in as many sports, uh, because more than likely they're not going to be a pro athlete anyone. Anyway, um, there's a great stat is, is you have like a 0.001% chance of being a pro athlete, but 100% of people are going to be in front of the throne of Jesus. Yep. Which one should we focus on? So, yes. you know, I, I think also but one of the things with sports, and I'm just going to go out and say this, and, and thankfully I think there's other people that will agree on this. One of the things that we also used to justify sports was for scholarships for college. Oh, yes. But this is something that you and I need to talk about with everybody. Is there a safe option? So like the the um, the podcast that Krista did that I kind of referenced everybody and we'll put them in, put it in the podcast notes is that even the Christian options for schools now are not good, great options. And so I find myself just being more and more. I mean, it was just kind of expected that you went to college. Um more and more fan of trade schools, mm-hmm. uh, just working when you get out of school, building up, yeah, building up skills, building up tech skills, things that you don't have to go to a big university for or any kind of university for, um, because that's not a place that is going to be reinforcing your Christian worldview. So you're basically paying for your child to have their faith deconstructed. Is that a great use of funds? No, it's not. And I'm not going to say it happens every single time, but the number of stories that I'm hearing of uh, friends sending their kids off to college and then saying, oh my gosh, they're coming back with all these things and I don't even know what to do with this. And I'm like, have you been listening, friend? College is not a safe place for biblical ideology anymore, even if they tout themselves as being Christian. Yeah. And that's where it comes back to what is important. And so it's, it's that strengthening it's that, and, and it always comes back to foundations. Like if you open the book of Habakkuk or any time in, in scripture where uh, someone has fallen away and they're crying out to God for guidance, what he always does first is reestablish, reinforce, reeducate the individual on who he is. It all comes back mm. to foundations. So when we're talking about things that we need to be doing as a home, for one, we need to make sure that we are doing our due diligence and discipling within the home and that we start with that firm foundation of who is God? Who are you in God? Because when we have that firm foundation, then when attacks of the world come, because they're going to, and yep. it's becoming so much easier. I mean, Coco Melon now is is reaching kids with uh, radical gender ideology. Coco Melon? What is that? Am I just oh, like... Okay. It's like, it? it's a TV show that's like cartoony and lots of really 
earworm that music. The one actually has like the two toddlers with gay dads and they're like. There's one toddler. The yeah. Yeah. Uh, dressing them up in drag and dancing in front of the dads. Yeah. Is that the yeah. thing I'm hearing? Okay. That's Coco Melon. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, I mean, it's coming at kids younger. So what do we do? We we refocus on what's truly important. We weed out the things that are are taking our time away from what we're supposed to be doing and called as parents. We're called to train mm-hmm. up our kids. It's this diligent stewardship so that they know how to effectively wield the armor of God. So, yeah. and then, so giving that up and then uh, focusing back on our kids. And what do we start with? We start with foundational. And, you know, um, Hillary, one of the things that you pointed out in our our earlier discussion that I think is so important, that's so common today, is the active vilification of Christianity. And Mm -hmm. it's not just college universities that this is happening. It's on social media. It's happening in elementary schools. And so if we have children who are more focused on getting worldly followers than being a follower of Christ, then they're going to succumb to the challenges of this world. So like you were talking about, we need to raise up kids who can withstand this. The question is no longer, is Christianity true? The question is, is it good? And that's the question that, that society is basically trying to answer no. In fact, they don't even care if it's true anymore. Um, they, they say, well, even if that is such a godlike blah, blah, blah exists, I still wouldn't worship him because they're like given some definition of God or, or you should never read the Old Testament in just little snippets. <laughs> You have to read it in this progression to understand how this is a story of Israel, how it's like he tried to start out with them, you know, like in the time of Deuteronomy and their holiness in the time. But it kind of it goes like this. They go really far down, then they get a little bit better, but never as high as they were. And then it goes down and then it gets a little better and then it goes down. There's this negative dissension into chaos as they go through the different kinds of kings and judges uh, in the way that the Lord is so compassionate and, and patient, taking them back, that if you don't look at it from that perspective, you can get some really weird passages in scripture. Um, but what you're talking about, Amy, about taking things back to foundations, I've got a picture that I sent you, which uh, you and I will probably talk about and see if we can uh, do a podcast on unpacking this picture is uh, it's looking at like what a worldview does and how you can tell what worldview your kids are believing. So let's take this back to what Amy was saying earlier about the music. The fact that we have so much demonic influence, not just influence, but it's overtly. um, It's celebratory. Celebratory. I remember, I can't remember how many years ago it was. It was Katy Perry at one of the award ceremonies. And even all the secular cultures start going, "Uh, did we just watch like, a pagan like sacrifice ritual. Like, did we just literally watch witchcraft on stage to her dark horse thing? Um, so when people are acting like you have all these um, demonic things, but it doesn't really matter, that's telling you what they believe is true about the world. And guess what they've just said is true about the world. Either Satan does not exist or he's not powerful and we can control him. That is their statement of truth. And the only way you can discern what that statement of truth is, is when you see them interacting with the demonic things and acting like it's no big deal. Why is it no big deal? Well, because they truly believe this is something we can control or it doesn't exist. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where we go back into, okay, well, what, what is true? And then comparing and contrasting true. the worldview. In fact, we did an earlier podcast where looking at the occult and the presence mm-hmm. of ghosts, we were discussing, okay, wait a second. So many of these kids are dabbling in this yeah. because they think it's harmless or it's innocuous yeah. or they, like you said, that they are uh, powerful enough to control it. I was watching videos on this gal who was talking about demons, how you can summon demons to teach you things. They're going to be your spiritual tutors and you just pick whichever demon can uh, give you the skill or teach you the skill that you need you go through this ritual and she said well you have to be careful because they do try to mess with you and then she was like but then you just close out the circle and you're good to go and I'm like oh my gosh but this is what's going on is you know it's it's ridiculed so much to where they don't think it's a threat and that's where attacks can happen so easily with our kids is that it's no big deal or that they are powerful enough this human being, finite human being is capable enough of exerting power over the spiritual realm. It's not going to work out. If if I say the right incantation, then they're like my little slaves and they'll do whatever I want. And I think back to, I don't know, you're, you're, you're pretty close in age with me. Uh, Do you remember, Oh God, what was it? Was it Carmen? The, the, the Christian singer, you weren't into all that in high school. Anyway, it's just like this song by Carmen where it's, you know, he describes this person thinking, oh, we're doing these harmless little seances. And then it shows the demons coming after them. And it was like the big thing, you know, to show you how dangerous demonic stuff was back then. But, you know, there's some truth to that. So there's a um, a book. It's one of C.S. Lewis's books. It's in the Chronicle of, uh, of Narnia series. And it's the very final book. It's called the, the the last battle, and one of the really interesting things in there is uh, you have these characters, this this ape, in this donkey who starts telling people that Aslan is back, and he kind of fakes them out with this like kind of animal skin thing. But uh, and then they start partnering with this group that has always been at war with the Narnians in the past, whose god his name is Tashlan, who has like uh, an eagle head, and it's like this real demonic looking thing. Mm. And so they, at some point, they start calling on Tash. And then it, it flips back to the children who are there kind of helping, trying to save the day, where they see this creature walking through the woods. Mm-hmm. And they said they called upon Tash, but they did not know who they called upon mm-hmm. that he would actually show up. Something along those lines. Yeah. And so when we see these, these, these um, videos and stuff like that, encouraging kids to dabble in this, they are having them call upon things that they think are not even real. And they are going to be shocked as all get out when this thing shows up. Um, so, okay, going back to some of the things that we need to start be giving up and why we need to start be giving up. We need to start looking at what is idolizing our time, whether that's sports, whether that's music, whether that's whatever it is. We need to start reaffirming that family time. Um, this, what was the thing that you said that you'd heard? And I've heard it before. Basically everything that happens happens around the dinner table, like all the good stuff that happens in a family happens around the dinner table. Yeah. So, and and I got to look up who said it. My husband mentioned it to me last night and I thought it was great. And it was talking about how, how societies are built around the dinner table and how, when, when you, when a family is united, it's, it's called a micro society for a reason. Mm -hmm. And that is why, are, so why, that is why secular culture has been so intentional about breaking apart the family, whether it's getting both parents out of the home, whether mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, divorce, whatever it may be. If it, if Satan can fragment the family, then societal corruption 
ends up falling out. And so what we need to do is kind of this, it's not a circle of the wagon because the church has done that in the past where they've completely pulled themselves out from culture and ground has been given up to the enemy when we did that. That's Mm -hmm. not what we're advocating. We're not advocating circle the wagons. We're advocating strengthen the family. It's that home front strengthening. And so that's what we need to do because when we build up this next generation, then they're going to go on and change society. That's why our culture is evangelizing our children with a secular worldview because they know they can't get at the adults. They have to go after the kids. And so when we strengthen our kids, then we raise up warriors who are able to stand firm against culture. And so for us as parents, you know, our, our new resolution should be focusing on, okay, what's stealing our time? What's stealing away the command that God has given all parents to train up our kids? Um, what's taking that away? How can I refocus back to what needs to happen? What do I need to give up to make that a priority? And then going in and tactically, strategically training your kids to recognize the lies of culture, building upon a foundation of truth within Christ, along with tactical engagement for when they're at their friend's house or in school or at their co-op. Because I promise you, even Mm -hmm. Christian co-ops and private schools, they are just as worldly as your public Mm -hmm. school kids. (laughs) Um, You need to be equipping them there as well. And that way, so that we can strengthen up these kids so that they will grow up to be a generation who can stand firm. Because if if, if it all comes crumbling down, man, when Daniel was taken into captivity, he was able to stand firm because of the foundation that his parents had left him. Yeah. And I would say, like, if you're kind of hearing it, like, we need to stop doing all these things. And then I got to have a goal for like filling all the rest of the time with stuff that I need to, you know, reading to my kids this and and preparing them for this. You know, I just want to also say, take a deep breath. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to advocate for something that we have not seen in a long time that your kids have not seen in a long time, that a lot of us haven't seen in a long time, but is a very important ingredient for society. Are you ready for something super profound? Boredom. Yes. Boredom is magical. Mm -hmm. Boredom is where you have kids that start playing but uh, guitar, guitar, piano for the first time. Boredom is where you start having these kids that maybe would be interested in how do you cook? How do you bake? Boredom is where you have the kids that are like, let's make a film or let's make, uh, you know, a play and perform it. I'm going to try singing. I'm going to try drawing. You don't have to fill up their time with everything in the world. Leaving a place for them to say, mom, I'm so bored is important. Because that it's in that quietness, mm-hmm. it's in that silence, it's in that lack of entertainment. You can actually start hearing the way God has created you. Mm-hmm. And I think back to the times when I was bored, and even to this day, the times when I get bored, what do I turn to? Writing in a journal. Mm-hmm like every single time. And I agonized for my whole life. What do I want to do? What do I want to be? I never looked at what do I tend to do when I'm super bored? I go back to writing and guess what? You know, all these years later and lots of careers later, I'm a writer, go figure. How did it take me so long to figure that out? But boredom means that you're not having to fill every second with stuff. Um, allowing them to discover who they are, but then regathering as a family around the dinner table. There's a family that um, we're friends with uh, near here in Pella that John and I love going over to dinner with them because it's so simple. They have dinner. They know that everybody gets together and uh, they have, you know, a couple different prayers that they choose that they recite, you know, that are kind of tradition for their family. And then at the very end, they just do a really quick 
um, they're, they're going through the Bible. And so they have, you know, one passage, you know, 16 verses or however long that story is. And then a couple questions. They didn't have to find it in a devotional. They didn't have to find it in a book. They just read the Bible and then ask each other questions about it. And then everybody split off to do their own thing after that. It was, it was this very, very simple thing. We don't need to overcomplicate it. Mm-hmm. One other thing that that can really open these doors, because we always get asked by parents, how can I initiate conversation? Hillary mentioned boredom. If you want to encourage discipleship with your children, even when they're little, when you go to the grocery store, when you're in the car, do not give your little one one of these. Yeah. Instead, talk to them. Yes. Point out the beauty of what they're seeing. If you're in the grocery store, oh my gosh, this orange. Oh, what a beautiful color. And you smell how good that smells. Isn't mm. it amazing how God created all these different foods for us to enjoy instead of just one thing, instead of just that manna from heaven. And you can have amazing spiritual conversations with your kids, awesome discipleship opportunities, simply by not giving them a cell phone to glue themselves into. Because again, that's giving a discipleship opportunity to a source of entertainment rather mm. than to you as a parent. So my little helpful suggestion, Hillary had a great one about uh, at the dinner table, reading scripture together. Don't give your little ones a cell phone. Instead, take that opportunity to just get to know their little selves and to speak a little bit of life into them. And sometimes even have like, you know, something where everybody puts all their digital devices up at the same time. And we have these three hours every day. Nobody has access to digital stuff. Yeah. Um, So that's just another idea. Anyway, so. Kind of in summary, you know, Amy and I did this a little bit off the fly. And part of the reason is we've just decided because we have been so, you know, every time we did a podcast, we wanted to make it perfect. We had all the notes done. We did all the things and we decided, you know, we need to need a lead in the same way. So we're releasing this idea of everything being uh, perfect. And we're going to say we want to just create more and more content that's going to equip you. Um, We're the conversation. Yeah, just a conversation because sometimes I'm like, man, we should have been recording that conversation. So just grow with us as we're learning how to do these things. We're just going to be encouraging you to don't take it all like, oh, my gosh, if I don't do this well enough, I'm just failing, failing, failing. Find one thing that you can give up. Say, okay, our family, we when we sit down, we're going to have one night a, a month or one night a week that is our family night. Everybody's phones and devices goes into this giant fishbowl over here and we have one hour. Start somewhere. And I want you to pay attention to what happens because the more resistance you get, the more, think of that Velcro, the more those claws have been into you and into your kids, the more irritation you see, that will tell you how big of a problem we're that we're dealing with. Yeah. And how we proceed from there is going to depend on basically how big of a problem that is. And so you know what? We're going to go back to another tradition of parenthood. And that's with your kids telling you that you're ruining their life. <laughs> you know you're doing it right you, when you get that. Exactly. If they don't ever tell you that you're ruining their life, you're missing out on something. Um, that you, it, It's like that is part of being a parent is saying, no, this is not healthy. And I see how bad this has gotten. And so we're just taking this away completely. Um, kind of doing a great reset. I recommend going back to our podcast. I can't remember what number it is. We'll put it in the notes. Um, where it's the digital detox. What does it look like to digitally detox for two weeks? Um, we've heard so many good stories of people who have done that. So our New Year's resolution, give up, give up more stuff, do less, be calmer, be slower, be more grounded. And you will see this chaos and this confusion and this cloud just starting to dissipate. 
And that is where we are going to make the most impact on raising our families right now. If you get a chance, leave in the comment section things that you would like to see going on with Mama Bear that would really bless you, ways that you want to be equipped, uh, whether that's more time to like more more maybe doing some live streams where you can actually ask questions in real time, whether it's uh, maybe shorter videos with specific questions. What are some things we can do to bless you? What are some things that we can do that are making this parenthood journey so difficult in this unique time, in this unique culture? Let us know. And um, we're going to stop trying to do the thing where we say, hey, we have to come out with a bang and it'll all be perfect. We're just going to try. We're just going to try. So Amy, would you like to close this in prayer? Absolutely. Father God, we are thankful that you are king, that you are in control, that you are you are our Lord. And so we ask for these parents, these grandparents who are listening, that you will just help encourage them, give them new vigor to be able to pour into their families and help raise them up in fear of you and not in fear of culture. In your holy name, Lord. Amen. This has been a Mama Bear Apologetics recording. To learn more about Mama Bear Apologetics, please visit us on the web at www.mamabearapologetics.com. We hope you learned a little more about how to sift through ideas, accept the good, reject the bad, and now you can go teach your kids to do the same. Do you have any questions or maybe some ideas about future podcast episodes? Send us an email to askthemamabears at gmail.com and we'll do our best. Rise up, ladies. Rise up, Mama Bears. We are all in this together. Thank you.